Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, welcome to Pot on the Tying, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week. Three goals and a point against Brentford, but Newcastle are still looking for their first win. New managers and fresh new feelings, Newcastle and Norwich are ready to scrap for survival. Michael Bailey joins us to discuss the precarious position of both Magpies and Canaries. And some real-time concerns direct from our subscribers. Hello once again friends, this is Pod on the Tyne, I am still Taylor Payne and this week we've got a big fat episode of Pod on the Tyne for your listening pleasure. Plenty to discuss over the next 45 minutes or so and it'll be great to talk to Michael Bailey about Norwich City and the change in face of the relegation picture and we'll also get into the weeds on that Brentford game as well. But before we do, uh, we had more COVID drama uh, this week with Eddie Howe testing positive just before his first game in charge and Chris... You're more than familiar with that scenario than perhaps you'd like to be, aren't you? Yes, yes. I ended up missing his uh, unveiling, although I did it. I did it remotely, but George had to go to his unveiling, much to his own annoyance, because uh, I was uh, positive earlier this month. But uh, we have subsequently, in the game at the weekend has broken George. We don't have George today. He just had enough. He's just given up. <laughs> So you're, I'm afraid you're stuck with the ugly two this afternoon. That's uh, that's how it goes. But it's nice, Chris. It means you know me and you might get a, a word in edgewise. You know what I mean? Well, exactly. And but but after the game, George did text me because George was at the at the game, but he was he was there as a fan. He, all he texted me afterwards was "We're going down," and that was, that was literally what he texted me. I was like, "Cheer up a little bit," but uh, yeah. So it seems to go as a fan makes him even more miserable if that's possible. Amazing stuff. Completely broken that poor boy. Anyway. Just before we crack on, uh, this week, to celebrate Black Friday, you can take advantage of our best deal of the year. So subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of just £1 a month for a full 12 months. But hurry, because that offer ends at midnight on Sunday, November 28th. Uh, You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Uh, Chris, can you give me some ideas of some of the content on The Athletic at the moment? Yeah, so after the Brentford game, I've done a big piece sort of looking at Howe's first fortnight and the how that, not not only what's happened, but also how that came to pass in terms of the Brentford game and the differences that we're going to talk about in this podcast and, and the changes that were made to both style and personnel and, and the likes. And then also over the course of the next few days, I'm going to be doing a piece looking at the Dubravka-Darlow debate and uh, whether whether it's time for Martin Dubravka to come back into the side because uh, that seems to be growing calls for that. Mm, absolutely. And of course, the new part of Ian McIntosh's uh, games uh, content about his trials and tribulations as football manager of Newcastle United uh, has just dropped on there as well. So check that out because it is weird and brilliant. Uh, and also, he was on the podcast last week, so check that episode out as well if you haven't already heard it. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Uh, and if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Come on, you Maggie's. <laughs> 
Right then, Chris, the Eddie Howe era started without Eddie Howe on Saturday uh, as the re-energised Newcastle United faced the Brentford team that handed us our own arse in the League Cup last season. I think that's the only term I can come up with for that. Uh, Eddie Howe was consigned isolation, uh, so Jason Tindall and Graham Jones ran the show, and while the boys in black and white served up a six-goal thriller, crucially, they still couldn't find that first win of the season. Chris, overall, it's a pretty positive performance, isn't it, even if we don't have that win under our belt? Yeah, it's a sort of really strange one, this, because there seems to be a lot of optimism that's been generated from, from Saturday. <laughs> we don't want that, do we? Newcastle have failed. Yeah, well, I know, <laughs> it's the last thing we I know, expect. But, but even though Newcastle have actually fallen to bottom of the table, and even though they're still five points adrift of safety, they're seven points adrift of Brentford, who are in 14th, and, and, and a lot of results went against Newcastle over the weekend. Norwich winning, um, Burnley picking up a point. Several teams... Um, basically moving away from Newcastle. Yet, if you take the actual performance itself and the changes that were in it, the, the sort of move up the pitch so that Newcastle were visibly 20 or 30 Absolutely. yards higher up the pitch, the, the sort of change to, although it was three at the back, it, it was very much three at the back, not five at the back, as we've seen recently. Um, a three-man forward line, a very attacking centre midfield. And in general, going forward, Newcastle looked re-energised and looked at it, had new ideas and new focus. But unfortunately, at the back, it was quite the opposite. And realistically, in terms of if you, if you, if you took the performance in isolation, I think it was extremely positive. But I also think alarm bells need to be ringing because as unfair as it is on anyhow, really this was a game he was targeting. This was a game they tried to win and they haven't won it. And it just peeps even more pressure onto two of the next three games. Do you not think though, Chris, that... I know there's been a bit of positivity in, and I understand the, the sort of pessimism as well, but do you think we've in a season with so much darkness in it, I think that little chink of light that's come through with this performance has maybe lifted people's spirits a little bit. And and we needed that, didn't we? We needed that little rise, that little, even if it just looked like a bit of hope, um, because we've been pretty hopeless, haven't we, for for, for months now? Yeah, and I think certainly compared to the sort of, I'm going to call it the Graham Jones era of three games. Um, <laughs> given the good. Graham Jones era where I think I think we all expected, or at least I did, expected a few more changes than there were, and it almost felt like he reverted to type and tried to shut things down. And and really, given how open Newcastle were on Saturday, maybe, maybe there's an argument for why he did that. But equally, that stunted their attacking influence, the likes of Alan Saint-Maximin, hadn't been really offering anything over the course of the last few weeks. And to to see now that Newcastle can positively uh, basically affect the opposition, make sure that they are the ones who are trying to implement their own game plan rather than just sitting back and letting the opposition dictate. That was what was really encouraging from Saturday. And it was quite clear the game plan. You can see the difference in the game plan. I mentioned before there were noticeably higher up the pitch, but it wasn't even just that. They were also trying to play through the lines, although they were willing to mix it up as well. That went long sometimes. The two players who had the most touches for Newcastle were the wing-backs, so that shows you Eddie Howe traditionally likes to play down the flanks, and that's what happened also, who had a lot of touches, was, was Joe Linton on the right, who we'll get on to in a second, but obviously his best game, certainly in my opinion, uh, in, in Newcastle shirt. And then the other side, second half, Sam Maximan really came back into back to life, looked far more comfortable cutting in from the left and more influential in that way. So there were a lot of lot of positives to take, but ultimately Newcastle need to win a game. And there's, there's part of me that looks back at Saturday and thinks if it hadn't been quite as exciting, but one had gone in off a player's backside or something and then won 1-0, then you would take that. Whereas now the fact that it's, it's stretched to... 12 games, 13-0 competitions without winning. That is nearly a third of the season gone and Newcastle haven't won a game yet. That's very true. I mean, we have to... Also, I want, uh, I want to ask you, Chris, who who the hell put 50 pence in John Joe Shelby? He was he was motoring around the pitch, wasn't he? What was all that about? I think, do you think this is the Eddie Howe effect? Do you think Howe's took him to one side and said, look, I'm going to try and build things around you. I want to, ma- I want to make you our linchpin of that midfield. And, and it's given Shelby that little boost of confidence and energy that he's he's sorely lacked over the last few months. He just, he, he was a bit like the old John Joe Shelby that I remember. He was a, a to- looked like a totally different player. I think there's a few elements to this. I think there's the element that Shelby tends to be like this when a new manager first comes in or when he first joins a new club. <laughs> yeah. If you remember his first game, uh, first home match against West Ham when he was he's really influential in that game, but also I do think Howe's been influential on that. Howe has, has spotted what what Eddie Howe wants 
from his midfielders. He want or, or from his team in general. He wants technical ability. And John Joe Shelby's technical ability is without question. He's the best technical footballer Newcastle have. Not in a dribbling sense, obviously that's answer maximum. But in terms of delivery, in terms of passing. He's one of the best in the certainly outside the top six in the Premier League. He is one of the best at doing that, and and Eddie Howe has decided that he wants that in his team. He's taking Chelsea. He wants that, but he's also said if you're going to be in the side, though, I need to see more from you. And I thought it was interesting in his press conference on Friday. He raised John Joe Shelby of his own accord. Now Eddie Howe is very similar to Rafa Benitez in one sense, in that. If he doesn't want to go off message, he will not go off message and he won't deviate from his answer to the question. He, he will give a detailed answer, but it will be very specific and answer the question. He doesn't tend to go into individuals unless you ask about them specifically. He was asked a question about what has surprised him or what has he seen in terms of the technical ability of a squad. And he decided to to raise John Joe Shelby as a pointer to mention him and basically say he's going to be very important for us. And and this is this is my supposition, but I, I think there was an element on Friday of there's been a lot of talk in the first fortnight that Eddie Howe's been here that, oh, well, John Joe Shelby won't be an Eddie Howe player because he doesn't do this off the ball and he doesn't do that. And I think almost before the team sheet was announced, rather than it, it be 2pm on the Saturday and people see that John Joe Shelby's in the team, he wanted to get it out there that, look, John Joe Shelby is going to be featuring because he brings us something. And that was... And, and then I think you did see the positives from, from Shelby, certainly in attacking sense. Almost everything went through him. He, he had the most passes in the, in the Newcastle side. The vast majority of those passes were also in the opposition half. So he was... He, he is He's doing what he should have been doing for a long while for Newcastle, and that is trying to dictate play. Absolutely. And also a goal and an all-action performance from Joe Linton as well. The Joe Linnaissance is here, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's my new favourite word. I mean, Ollie, our producer texted me that earlier, and I do, I do think that's that's my. I might nick that. I really, really do like that. Um, but he was, he, he was ex- certainly the first forty-five minutes. I, I thought he was excellent, and what you could see was he's been given a specific role in the team, and he's been. It's been explained to him what is expected from him. He's not a lone centre forward. He's playing nominally on the right of a front three in a fourth in a three four three. But equally, he was also given license to to come in and, and sort of play off uh, Callum Wilson's shoulder shoulder at points. He would come deep and, and demand the ball. I've never seen him do. He that. He was on so the edge of his own box at times, was, wasn't he? I, I he was. Seen yeah. him picking the ball up from the from the centre halves at one point. Yeah, yeah, and he he was he was he leads the press. What what Eddie Howe has noticed during training is that. Because, because, because Joe Linton came from from a Hoffenheim side where under Julian Nagelsmann, where they were renowned for pressing high and and, and leading that sort of press, he he's used to that, and so he is one of the players who is being leaned on early on by Eddie Howe to sort of lead that press, and so a lot of the time he was the one, and he, he won the ball in the first. Two minutes, he sort of fell on his backside, and the Brentford fans were laughing at him. But then he got up, won the ball back, and crossed for for Callum he Wilson did, yeah. to almost score. I mean, I think there was part of the ground where I thought he had scored, but I think in the East Stand because of where it came from. And and also, what we also saw from Joe Linton was a sort of a leadership on the pitch, which I'm not sure I've seen before. Mm, he was demand- yeah. he was telling his teammates what he wanted them to do. It was also when Alan Maximan scored the equaliser. Joe Linton sort of ran across to him and basically almost dragged him away from from, from the fans. I know it was an, an exhalation of, of, of emotion yeah. from Sam Maximum, but Joe Linton was also like, get back to the centre circle. We need to go and try and win this game. And that is that is what... I, I, you saw a different attitude, a different... And I think that's that's come from the fact that someone has specifically worked with him and given those, those specific instructions, what he's desperately needed, put him in a more f- familiar position. He tended to often to play in the front three at Hoffenheim and really... I'm now excited at the prospect of what we can see from Joe Linton. And if you'd asked me a fortnight ago, I would be nowhere near waxing. I know no, we're no, getting no, a little I bit know. carried away because it's only one, one performance. But he, in theory, has a bit of everything. I mean, he's physical. He's big. He does have a bit of pace to him. He is technically good. So I, I, I know I know he fell on his backside at the cushion moment. That is, that is still... Oh. That is still Do you know what? I felt so the, sorry the, for the him point. because... He'll get hammered for that, for, for falling over. But he, his, his stud's caught on the turf, and it can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone at any time. He just didn't get his feet right, and he's and he lost his foot. And, and I think because he'd, he'd run the length of the pitch to try and keep up with Sir Maximan, by the time he got there, he was knackered. He cut inside, the defender goes down. If his toes don't get caught on the turf, he probably puts that ball in the net, you know, Chris. And I felt so sorry for him seeing him lying on the floor there. 
and I've he's he's got pelters for it, but I've, I felt really sorry for the lad. I thought he d- he deserved to get his goal there, his second goal. You know, what I mean, he took God, he took that first goal brilliantly, didn't he? On the left foot, rifled it in the bottom corner. He did. I mean, his first touch wasn't necessarily brilliant, but it almost set himself up perfectly. And then and then his, 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 that the finish was was excellent. You could see the way he celebrated as well, and how much that meant to him. And I I, I do just think he, he looks he, he looked a different he, he just everything about him his demeanor he looked he looked different he looked sharper he looked uh, more concentrated he looked as if he knew what was being asked of him and I keep saying that but it, I think that is crucial for someone like Joe Linton who'd come to a, a different league a different country and confidence then went low once he once he was struggling that first season and it was a it was a forlorn task anyway what he was being asked to do in that system when he was a lone striker in a team that didn't really attack. Um, and he's not a natural goal scorer. He was never a number nine. But now with the number seven on his back, being in that sort of front line, the best that we'd seen of him previously was playing off, off Callum was, Wilson. Yeah. When he had someone alongside him, he takes a goal scoring burden off him. And so to have that front three... And the fact that uh, that the defense is also thinking about well, not only Wilson, I've got I've got there's Alan Tate Maximal on the other wing, and it gives opportunities for for Joe Linton to find space as well. So I I think there's I think there could be a lot more to come from him. I do really do absolutely. And I think playing as that three up front as well, I I honestly do think that gets the best out of some Maximal, you know, because I, I know he likes to play in behind that forward and, and have a bit of freedom to roam around the, the you know the the attacking half of the pitch, but if he has that structure where he plays on his side. I think it gives him that. It gives him that. Um, them limitations that you know. Oh, I, I might need to stick to my side of the pitch, uh, and it, and it, it allows him when he gets the ball, he, he does more with it. I, th- I find when he's playing out on out wide, rather than if he's playing through the middle, he's you know, he, he, it's almost like he's got too much space to play with. Chris, do you know what I mean by that? He's just, it's almost like he's given too many options if he plays through the middle. But when he plays wide, it's get the ball down, get the byline, and try and get a cross in or or beat the fullback or beat the defender. Um, and it also, to me, it felt like Callum Wilson didn't look anywhere near as isolated as I've seen him in recent weeks. He he had players up alongside him. We were attacking in numbers, um, and and the wing backs were getting forward as well. Uh, you know, there's a long way to go here, Chris. And like you say, we're still deep in the shit. But the little chinks of light are there for me. There's the, the it, it's proved to me that this team can actually play football when they're allowed to. Yeah, and the thing with Sam Maximum was as well. There was there was also a subtle difference to. To, I know that, that for the Joe Linton chance, he did carry the ball far and there were occasions where he did dribble with it. But I think there was also occasions where he released the ball quicker yep, and that absolutely. also has been a message that's come through, inclu- including for his own goal where Darlow kicks it long to him, he controls it in the middle and rather than fanny on with it, he gets it out quickly to Fraser because that was almost a planned move where they knew if they can switch it from one side and then go into the back. And it was, all, it was almost... In, in a strange way, very similar to Brentford's second goal in that mm, it was sort of yeah. switched from one side of play to the other and, and cut and cut out uh, the the wing-backs, essentially, get in behind the wing-backs. And and the finish was... was I, I, I think it was an underrated finish because it's not, it's not an easy it's finish ball, for, him to, isn't it? for him to finish it in the way that he did. Yeah, and it, it, was, a, it was a wonderful ball, though, in, in, in from it Fraser. And, and again, that, there's another positive. Ryan Fraser coming on. I mean, seen so little of him for so long. And... But he's someone who Eddie Howe knows very well, and there's that trying to rekindle that relationship between him and uh, and Callum Wilson, and having that competition whereby he can get himself into the team, and if, if they do if they do change formation maybe in the coming weeks, because that was the I think there were a lot of people surprised when the team sheet came out that it was three at the back. Now I'd heard earlier on Saturday w- what the team was going to be, and, and and we discussed this last week and discussed it with with Pete, and I'd sort of said. Um, I would not be surprised if he did go with the three, even though I think ideally he wants to go four. But given the personnel he has at his disposal, and you look at it, and he doesn't really have full-backs, out-and-out full-backs, they ended the game with full-backs who are win-backs. He made that positive change um, to, 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 to try and affect the game, to try and, well, first get a point, but even to win the game. And then they managed to get a point because of it when Fraser came on and Longstaff came on. Uh, they switched to a back four. But the back four was was Jacob Murphy and and and... and Matt Ritchie at left back and so it'll be interesting to see over the coming weeks whether he sticks with the 3-4-3 or whether he does change things and begin to to, to move towards um, a four at the back but but there are green shoots of positivity going forward but defensively I, I, 
they were off. They were awful at times. The first half in particular, I thought Ivan Tony and Mbwemo gave the gave the back three in particular an absolute torrid time. They did, and and Fabian Scher was brought back into the team, and a lot of fans had been kind of calling for that. He's had some good form recently for Switzerland, and he came back in. Um, unfortunately, it looks like he might have picked up an injury in that game, so there's a chance he might be out again. Um, but there's still big holes in that defence. Was it an injury though? Or do you think was he went down out of? Do you think his pride he's... was hurt? Do you think that's what it was? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was certainly when I first saw it. That's very much what it looked like because he 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 did one of his typical rash sort of things where he, well, he runs runs out, under the ball. Got He's good at that, isn't he? Yeah, and, and I mean, we saw the we saw the good and bad of, of Fabian Chair, and, and I can understand he was the only international who who they brought into the team because Eddie Howard said the the likes of Almiron hadn't been there that long, so he he wasn't going to consider that many of them. But that but for Chair to come in the team, I think was indicative of what how wants he wants at least one of his. Defenders to be ball playing and and and, he, and, and, and Jamal Asells is certainly not that, so he needed someone alongside to be there. And and there were moments where Cher from the right hand side influenced things a lot. He carried the ball forward a couple of times. He had one shot, which I know was blocked outside the area, but that's sort of what he brings. But then defensively, I mean, second half, Tony gave him the run round in particular. He did, and he certainly relished his return to St James's Park, didn't he? He never really got a fair kick of the ball when he was here uh, under various managers, but he, he got kissing the badge in front of the stand and all that. I mean, do you know what I think? Fair play to the lad. I know there's some people who've had a bit of a, got their backs up about this, but to me, he, I haven't, we don't know even Tony anything. He doesn't know us anything. Uh, we let him go for a, for a small fee when you think about how much he went for. The same with Adam Armstrong. Um, and he's proven himself to be a really, really good footballer, hasn't he, Chris? And, you know, we, we would love a bit of that Ivan Tony uh, strength and physicality up front, uh, either alongside Callum Wilson or coming in as a second striker when Wilson was injured. Um, he, he took his goal really well and he had a few other chances as well, didn't he? Yeah, and he's just he, he's got a bit, as you say, he's, he's got a bit of everything. And, and, and I think this stat is right that he was the 50th former Newcastle player to score against Newcastle in the Premier League era, which I believe is a record for Premier League science. Sounds about right. Which yep. will surprise nobody. <laughs> Sounds exactly right, yeah. Absolutely. We do tend to roll out the red carpet for people who used to play for us, don't we? It's very good. Uh, right, we are going to cover some more of the match issues. I know there's some questions about uh, the goalkeeper and various other things. Uh, we are going to cover those in the questions later on. One quick one, though, Chris. Uh, Robert M says, I was encouraged by the game. Uh, had it been five games earlier, I'd feel quite excited. But was it a must win? Uh, given every other team in the league are picking up points, uh, we could be down. At this game of the season, I don't think any game's a must win. I, I, I know what he means, but if you're going to take it literally, it's not, is it? No, I mean, I, I did say before this run of four fixtures that I think Newcastle needed a minimum of six, at least really seven points preferably nine that I think it's unlikely they're going to get nine now but I do think that that they need to pick up if they don't if they don't win at least one of the next three but ideally get six points or more then it, I think it it's almost looking a case of well that there is no way no, no matter what they do in January there's going to be no way of turning this around so I understand exactly where Robert's come from I think that Saturday was huge psychologically if they'd won I think it could have given them a bit of momentum they didn't do that. They've managed to bizarrely get a bit of positivity and, and optimism from it. But with Arsenal next, um, I'm a little bit concerned because the Emirates has very rarely been a happy hunting ground for Newcastle. So, um, although Arsenal did get hammered at the weekend as well, so maybe, maybe, maybe uh, they can take advantage of that Newcastle. You never know, do you? I mean, we've got that Arsenal game and we've got Norwich City uh, next week as well. When I shall be returning to St James's Park for the first time in a good few years, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, uh, hopefully we can get uh, some points there. Uh, plenty more relegation chat coming up after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So you wouldn't exactly say Newcastle have turned a corner in terms of results, uh, even if performances have shown an immediate improvement. Uh, things have really taken a turn for the better at Norwich, though, and the Athletics' Michael Bailey joins us now. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much, Taylor. Hello, Chris. Um, yeah, everything's good here. It's been a beautiful day after a lovely weekend. Oh, here he is with his with his two wins coming on this podcast. Oh, you, you know? think you are? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all positive mental attitude. You don't know. You think you've had it bad. I mean, it has been a pretty bleak season so far. So I am. Excuse me for milking it while it's good. Excellent stuff. Uh, it's a beautiful part of the world in Norwich as well. I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Norwich. I've been down there quite a lot. Uh, it's a it's a lovely little uh, a lovely little place to go. And they've got some wonderful pubs and stuff as well. It's a great. Great day out. It is. It is. It's wonderful. A uh, bit of a new manager bounce as well for the Canaries. Uh, the first win did come under Fark, obviously, but um, Dean Smith, how's he How's he doing? It seems like a pretty decent appointment. Yeah, I think it was one of those where Norwich fans, I mean, I feel like I've repeated this for a lot, and, and in terms of the supporters, it was almost exactly a uniform reaction, which was, oh, we're a bit underwhelmed he's being linked because, you know, Frank Lampard's an exciting name and there's that bloke at <laughs> Bodo Glimp called um, Knutsen. I still can't pronounce that. Uh, so it's, oh, and Dean Smith, well, he's just lost five games at Villa and got sacked. Um, but then I think the longer Norwich fans got to sort of think about it and probably learn a bit more about Dean Smith because ultimately he was probably a manager they hadn't, the only way they were judging him was by um, his Post, his post-match and pre-match press conferences, which weren't particularly exciting, particularly. Um, I think the more they learned about him and the job he'd done and what he sort of stood for and how he went about things, the more it sort of suited with what Norwich would want from a head coach and probably, as well, the bits that Daniel Farker didn't have, which I think was... Um, he just hadn't proven how how that he could tackle the Premier League with how he wanted to. He just He just eluded him constantly. Um, bar the first five games two seasons ago um so with someone who at least could one of which was against newcastle yeah indeed and newcastle newcastle were bad that day i mean we're that bad was, every day that, man. but that was that was very early in the season you, you say that. that that i mean that was particularly bad that one but that was that was a that was yeah i remember that newcastle were completely at all at sea on that at the start of that season, weren't they? And, and, and at Carrow Road, especially. And there was just, it was Norwich's first game at, at home after promotion. And that was a proper, that was a proper promotion bounce kind of afternoon, really. Um, but I mean, we had nothing like that this season at Carrow Road because everyone was sort of just hoping that something exciting would happen and that they would have learned a few lessons from two years ago. And the more it sort of passed, the more they realised it hadn't. So um, even from just the game on Saturday, Dean Smith making a personnel, a tactical change at half time and giving the players a bit of a rollicking. Um, they're three things I don't think we really saw a lot of under the last regime. Um, and the players grew in the second half, so he can claim a lot of credit from that. What was it like actually for Norwich fans to actually have their new manager in the ground? Because <laughs> Newcastle United, as, as is very, oh, very luxury. Newcastle United over the <laughs> I was sure you guys have gone o gone over it, but I mean, how did how how does Eddie Howe get get COVID and then miss his first game? I don't really understand it. And I guess his first game in the dugout could be could be Norwich now. But I mean, um, the, the Norwich fans sort of gave him a big reception. They they made sure Dean Smith came out. Um, you know, after after everyone else, um, I don't know how comfortable he was with that, but he got a nice round of applause and a really warm reception. They were already chanting his name by by the the second half, just probably on the basis of of the, the effort the players were putting in. So. Um, you know, it probably for Newcastle, it probably will make a difference once Eddie is actually in the ground because, you know, to have no visual representation really of, of the man short of his assistance, I imagine would have made life a little bit strange. So it, it certainly worked at Carroll Road. Well, yeah, the, the, the Eddie Howe situation, how it unfolded on Friday night. So he, he did his press conference uh, via Zoom on Friday morning, and he'd said how he could hear in his voice that he that he's, he was a bit croaky, but he had, he basically had been for about a week or so and, and thought that it was to do... He basically explained it, that he thought 
uh, because he'd been out of management for sort of 14 or 15 months and he's very vocal on the training pitch. He thought that that affected him in that way, but it turned out that, that he tested positive for COVID. Within half an hour, the club released that information, which I think was wise that the club actually did that. I mean, the previous regime, I almost certainly wouldn't have done it, but also to have done it on the Friday night, I think if they'd waited till the Saturday, that could have had a further negative effect because it did it did deflate people and I spoke to people in and around the club and they admitted, even Jason Tindall sort of admitted that it did it did hit them hard not having Eddie Howe there and, and, and just psychologically for Howe himself, the huge opportunity to, to be his first, the first game of, of, of his era as, as Newcastle United head coach not to be there. So, that was that was damaging, but he, he spent the morning speaking to the players uh, remotely, individually. Each of them individually. He also spoke to them together. The, the only place that that he didn't speak to them was it was in the um, changing room before the game. That was handled by uh, Tyndall and, and Graham Jones, the assistants. But he was also in co- constant communication with uh, Stephen Purchase, the assistant who was sat in the tunnel on the phone and then Eddie Howe was in his room had been given permission by the Premier League to be able to watch the game on multiple feed <laughs> but it, so he was sat there watching it and delivering all and so at various points Tyndall himself actually ran into the tunnel area as well to get and was receiving this information about what he, Eddie Howe was thinking and when they eventually made the change with Ryan Fraser coming on that was sort of led in that way as well so it was it was a very strange uh, way that it all unfolded but Howe had had this plan basically since since the pandemic had begun in, in March 2020 when he was still at Bournemouth he'd sort of come up with a contingency plan and he had to tweak it a little bit because it's a different club different different stadium also Newcastle's infrastructure is so crap that uh, there, there was actually I think fears at points that the, the Wi-Fi was going to drop out or they're going to have various issues Sounds about right. in that sense which would have been even more more Newcastle United but yeah remotely I suppose he did have there was the, the war flags banner um, welcoming Eddie Howe and then there were various chants of Eddie Howe's black and white army but I do think it, it did it did take a little bit of the wind out of Newcastle's sails, is how it was described to me by someone at the club. And that, well, that that game against Norwich uh, on Tuesday is going to be Eddie Howe's first game, isn't it? And it and and, and what a way to what a way to come into the uh, into the position and and for your first match to play against a fellow relegation <laughs> rival. Uh, the picture of relegation has changed dramatically, hasn't it, Michael? Now, I mean, two wins for Norwich and suddenly things seem totally different. But really, any team from eleventh down could be looking over their shoulder potentially. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. What what's changed for Norwich is that they've gone from being completely written off to having a chance. I think um, because I've never known a club to be universally they've gone after about 11 games so um, I think probably for the rest of the teams they are maybe looking at it going hmm okay yeah maybe maybe it's not that much of a foregone conclusion Um, which is obviously good news for Norwich I mean they've got a lot to prove Uh, one game in charge from your new manager albeit a positive result there was there was still plenty that is going to need to be worked on and I do still think there's a question mark over how good the squad actually is um I still wince at the thought of the pre-season friendly up at St James's Park earlier in the season that I was at because there was a lot wrong with that and I know a lot has changed there was a lot of mitigation as well um but there's a there's an awful lot for this team to prove but thank goodness we we do actually look like there's a, there's a chance to um to have a conversation about it Norwich have got Wolves at home um, at the weekend, which which will be a really interesting game because they're in they're in wonderful form. I think they're sixth at the moment, aren't they? And they they just you know they look like they can pretty much deal with anything that's put in front of them. So, um, but you know it, it's a bit of positivity, and you know the players will still have plenty of plenty to prove once they head up to uh, up to Newcastle. I'd forgotten about that Norwich game. That was actually Newcastle's last win. That was Newcastle's. Oh last my goodness! Win. Oh my God. Is that right, Chris? Just, wow. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. That was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, almost the same question, the point in, in reverse there, Michael, you, you sort of said that the, the way everyone else was looking at Norwich, and I would agree with you, a few weeks ago, I, I'd written Norwich off and I thought, oh yes, yeah, so it's going to be Norwich and then who else goes with them? Can Newcastle be better than two of their teams? But sort of in reverse, how do you see the situation at Newcastle? I mean, they're winless and, and they've, had, they've obviously had Eddie Howe, they've had a change there. How, how do you see the situation externally? Yeah, I mean, and, and for everyone listening can appreciate that I have only seen a limited amount, so it's going to be probably quite a <laughs> quite a, a sheltered kind of view. But I mean, for me, Newcastle obviously in the wonderful situation that, to be honest, it could be incredibly bad from now until January and then they'll probably got you know enough resources to sort themselves out with some really astute loans or whichever come January and that that might prove enough to finish above three teams um and that kind of is you know disregarding the fact that they have got a new manager in Eddie Howe who's got plenty to prove himself and is clearly he would have been on Norwich's list for for new head coach had he still been in in, um, out of work um at the time so um I, I I 
I see Newcastle as a much better team than their results. I kind of can't really believe they haven't won a game yet. I have to be honest. I, I, I find that strange. Um, they can clearly score goals. I, I feel like defensively they they should have more about about them. But maybe there's just a few a few holes. I, I feel like Carl Darlow struggles a bit at times, and and um, and I guess injuries sort of seem to chip in and. and and make things harder than they need to be at times. So if you were to ask me about the the relegation picture in total, I mean, I think Leeds without Rafinha are in trouble, personally. I think Brentford, um, I, I would want Norwich to still finish above Brentford and Watford because I still think that, you know, the three promoted teams are the three most likely to go down, even though we look at the table right now, that might not suggest it. Um, and it's, I'm still quite surprised that we Norwich have now won more games than Burnley because they do seem to pull out results when they want. So um, to me, I, I still struggle to find three teams that Norwich will finish above, and I, I still struggle to think that Newcastle um, would finish below them. Um, but then I suppose that <laughs> there have been numerous clubs that have felt that kind of security, and then you get to the final weeks of the season and you're like, oh, well, hell no, this is actually not turned around. And someone, a Norwich fan, I think, did share Newcastle's final four games of the season, um, which was probably a bit preemptive, but um, they, look, they looked pretty difficult, <laughs> I have to say, maybe bar the last game, which was against Burnley, which could be quite tetchy. So, um, but I, I, in all honesty, I wouldn't expect it to come down to that because I think, you know, Newcastle are in a in, a, in an envious position in a lot of ways and and part of that will be probably getting them out of any hole come January. Michael, what was the was there much of a change in the style of play at Norwich um, after after Dean Smith came in? I mean, we saw a little bit of a change at Newcastle with Eddie Howe's approach uh, has kind of got us off the back foot and playing us 20 to 30 yards higher up the pitch. Is there anything similar with Dean Smith coming in at Norwich? Um, yeah, I mean, it was... It's tricky to judge because Norwich was so different between the two halves. The, the first half, they they just they just sort of stood off. Um, they were playing a four three three, but um, were was the midfield were sort of struggling to have any kind of control, and they were just leaving so many spaces on on either flank really. And Southampton were very good in that first half, I think. Um, but what they did, he, he did tweak it in the second, and I think uh, they. I think what they will do is they will probably be a bit more direct. I think maybe some players took it um, a bit too literally um, initially and, and it, it was sort of being lugged forward a bit more. But I, I think it's going to be noticeable that they aren't going to try and build from the back as often. They, you know, under Daniel Farker, they had a tendency to slow down counters because they wanted to build the play, which is great when you're in the championship. But for Norwich in the Premier League, you're just sort of losing the opportunity of having, um, you know... Um, player advantages in certain circumstances so I think I think it'll be quicker I think it'll be more dynamic I don't think they'll be um, playing out um, from the back as often um, but they, they will at times they do play good football and I think that was one of the attractions for having Dean Smith is that you know he has tended to play pretty decent football wherever he's, wherever he's been but he has made a point that they have to improve defensively um, and he that is going to be is a cliche but that is going to be the starting point um, and in fact, they have done that now because I think they're not solely the worst defensive record in the Premier League as we stand. So I suppose uh, um, in that that terms, there, there's a little bit of that. So uh, yeah, it probably will be a little bit more rudimentary when they head to St. James's Park, but it'll be interesting how, how Dean Smith actually approaches it away from home because the game at Carrow Road is obviously um, probably slightly easier to deal with. Yes, indeed. Well, Michael, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap things up there. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you and hopefully we'll uh, we'll speak to you again in the future and uh, good luck for the game. No no luck for next Tuesday. Not next Tuesday. No, no, no. No luck. Not next Tuesday, no. Good luck for the rest of the season. <laughs> well, I tell you what, yeah, you can you can have Tuesday if we beat Wolves on Saturday. There you go. You'll probably take that with you. So. Do you know um, what? I've I've been to Carroll Road five times and I've never seen Newcastle win there. So Well, take that. I don't care what happens on Tuesday, <laughs> as long as we win. <laughs> Cheers, Taylor. Chris, I'll see you next week. See you next week, Michael. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Michael. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, then just enough time for us to fire some of your real-time feed questions directly into the face of Chris Woff. Uh, are you ready to receive them, Chris? That sounds a bit brutal, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> We're not messing about now. Big boy stuff, this, Chris. Uh, right, okay. Uh, Todd S. has asked, what is the deal with Jamal Lewis? Uh, has Matt Ritchie really been that good? What's it going to take for him to get some minutes? Well, I mean, the, the thing with Jamal Lewis is you've got to look at this as now Steve Bruce is gone, it's a different situation with, with Eddie Howe. And it'll be interesting to see how much game time he gets over the course of the next few weeks. Eddie Howe only played one in national, as I mentioned earlier, and Jamal Lewis was away for during that in, in national. He also hasn't played much football in general. I know he's played at national football, but he hasn't played that much football in general. So in terms of understanding exactly what Eddie Howe wants, in terms of getting him up to speed, that's going to take a little bit of time. I do see all of the attributes that Jamal Lewis has as being ideal for what... Um, Eddie Howell want down the flank. He has an engine. He has the ability to get up and down. I mean, you regularly see after matches when there's a warm down that the fitness coach is there with the players and Jamal and and, and, the, and put them all like basically doing uh, sort of shuttle runs across the pitch. And Jamal Lewis has to have his own individual program because he's so far ahead of everyone else because he's a former cross country runner and he's like he's, he's he's like half the length of the pitch ahead of everyone else and he so he is a very he's a very naturally fit. Uh, person, but that doesn't necessarily equate to football fitness. So, yeah, the roundabout way of saying is that I do think that Eddie Howell relished the opportunity to work with a young player like Jamal Lewis and try and bring him on. So I do think over time we'll see more of him. But in the short term, Matt Ritchie, uh, he knows how Eddie Howe works. He has been in the team recently as a wing back, is, is, is what he played the weekend. That's what Matt Ritchie has been able, able to play. So, I think in that combination. I mean, what about you, Taylor? What have you made of of Matt Ritchie? Do you think he warrants a place in the team? From what you would you have him in the side? I think defensively he can he can sometimes be a little bit lackadaisical and and he loses his man occasionally. Um, I, I like Matt Ritchie's attitude and I like the you know the drive and the energy that he gives you and I, I like that he he almost drags players around him through the game sometimes and he's got good leadership qualities but um you know he's he's not getting any younger uh I'm not sure he still had everything in the tank and and also Matt Ritchie I remember from the Rafa Benitez days of Rafa saying that he had to physically tell Matt Ritchie to stop running as much because he would knacker himself out and he would got, get the point where he had to take him off in games because he wouldn't stop. Um, so I kind of, I'm, this can be a double-edged sword, can't it? Because you want your you want your players to have that kind of commitment, don't you? But he could be knackering himself out. He could be leaving himself short. And if he is playing as a wing-back, he needs to get up and down that pitch. Jamal Lewis, from what I saw of him, I thought when he came in, he looked decent. Um, he's a young guy. He's obviously got a good engine, like you say. Um, maybe he's again defensively. He's not the not the most accomplished defender, but hopefully working with Eddie Howe and and with his staff, he can kind of bring that side of his game on. Uh, like you say, I think it might be just sort of a handover time that we're looking at here between Richie and Lewis. And I think again, as you say, Chris, it might be that as the season goes on, we see more of Jamal Lewis and a little less of Matt Richie uh, uh, as the uh, as the season goes. You know, I, I I look forward to seeing Jamal Lewis because he's got. Come in with a very, uh, a very bright future ahead of him from from what everyone was saying. So it'll be good to see him get some games. Um, right, uh, Phil A has asked why has Darlow been starting over Dubravka, and do we expect a change to finally be made against Arsenal? Interesting one, this Chris, isn't it? Carl Darlow come in for some criticism at the weekend for his performance, uh, and I mean you can't really argue the fact that he should have saved that first goal, shouldn't he? Yeah, he should have saved the first goal. I think what was interesting about Darlow's performance is that I, I think that. What Eddie Howe has been asking him to do, which is unnatural to him in terms of playing it out from the back, and I say this 
while also giving credit to, to the sort of him laying it on to, well, kicking it forward to Talents at Maximum for his third goal. But in general, you could see he was almost overthinking the fact that he had to play it out to his uh, wider central defenders when he had the opportunity to, and also just scout, just scan the pitch in a different sort of way. And I almost think that he he, he overthought all of that and that detracted away from his, the, 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 his basics. And he's usually a good shot stopper, but I think he was nervous and that really did affect him. And so... The, the the reason why Darlow has been in the team is that Martin Dubravka has hadn't played until uh, wet, he played last week against uh, Malta, I think it was for Slovakia in a six nil win. But apart from that, he hasn't played since the European Championships in June, um, when he made the mistakes against uh, Spain. He's been out injured. He then also had um, he he had a setback from that because the operation that he had, the wound became infected. And so he, he only returned to the bench. I think that was the Chelsea game. So Graham Jones's first game in charge was the first game he was back on the bench. And I think it was, a, again, it was a call which is both A, to do with fitness, because Eddie Howe wasn't sure how fit he was, even though he played that one game for Slovakia. It's not quite, there's still that one, that's only one game in several months, but also that he hadn't, he'd been away on international duty and hadn't been on Tyneside during that fortnight build-up to the game, whereas Carl Dolo had been, and to sort of learn, the goalkeeper is an important element in what Eddie Howe tries to bring to his team. And so I think that was that was what counted against Dubravka. Do I see Dubravka coming into the team against Arsenal? I certainly think it'll be sooner rather than later when we see that change. We saw the positive effect that Dubravka had on the side last season when he came in. Uh, the way that the defence just seemed to respond and, 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 and grow a little bit, have greater confidence in him. He's more vocally directs from the back. He probably is a little better with his feet than Carl Darlow is as well. I wouldn't say his distribution is wonderful, but his, his distribution is certainly better, I think, than Carl Darlow's in many respects. So I'd be surprised if he wasn't in the team soon. But whether it's against Arsenal, I have to say at this stage, I'm not 100% sure. Would you make the change, Taylor? Would you bring him in? Uh, yeah, I think it's time. I think Darlow looked a little bit frazzled on uh, on Saturday, and maybe it's, it, it's time for that change. I I trust Dubravka. I think he's a really, really good quality goalkeeper, and and he, and he tends to lead that that back line a lot better, doesn't he? You need that solid foundation uh, when when things are slightly dicey at the back. And let's be honest, Chris, they are slightly dicey at the back at the minute, aren't they? Um, <laughs> to say the least, uh, I think you need a goalkeeper that you can trust and you know who's going to be there all the time. I don't really have an awful lot of a problem with Darlow. I think he's a decent keeper and I think he's a good stopper, but I do think he struggles to command his area a little bit. And he does have a bit of a rush of blood in him as well, doesn't he? He comes flying out of his box. Uh, there was a there was a point in the game on Saturday when he did he come flying out of his box and, and I think it was Fabian Scher just took the ball off his toes. Uh, and and maybe we just need that slightly cooler head of uh, of Dubravka back in back in nets, shall we say? Uh, right, uh, let's move on to the next one. Marty Q. This is funny. This Marty Q. Is there too much negativity around Chris? We are only two wins away from safety. The other teams around us are worse than us. The how effect will take time, but he's the right man for the job. Plus a couple of sensible signings in January will see us over the line. Just how are the lads? Now, Chris, I'd like to. Uh, take this one quickly Marty you're saying we're only two wins away from safety we haven't won a game yet we have not won a game what and it's uh, <laughs> I, no I mean I, I, in many ways I, I admire optimism Marty and I, and I wish I wish I, I wish I really shared done, like, it and, uh, yeah, yeah, you have a point that you're only two wins away from safety but equally that also you also rely on other teams not picking up positive results at that stage. In theory, yes, I do think that Newcastle have a better squad and should be a better team than a lot of teams in and around them, but they've gone a third of the season nearly without winning a game, and sometimes it's just wrong. The, the, the Newcastle side of 2015-16 were better than was better than a lot of the teams who survived on paper, but they didn't survive. That they, they had issues there, and they had issues throughout the season, and Newcastle have had a, a lot of issues throughout this season, and they do have limitations in that area. So... Um, maybe I just I don't know how you can say that there's too much negativity going on from a personal sense. And the, the, the fact is that they're bottom of the league. They haven't won a game. Um, they've already played a lot of the teams you would expect to win. They've got a horrendous December fixture list coming up. Maybe we'll have a more rosy outlook in ten days' time if they manage to to beat Norwich and Burnley. But um, I don't I don't necessarily agree with the, the outlook, Marty. But I do I do admire the optimism. I mean, I'm Chris. I'm quite an optimistic man at the best of times, you know. But even I have to be honest. The cynicism uh, is creeping in at the minute. I'm I'm very much a glass half full man, but at the minute, uh, the glass is half full of warm vomit. Uh, so, uh, 
<laughs> we have to wait and see what happens. Ooh, horrendous. <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? Uh, right, and this last one as well, Chris. That uh, You can take this one. I don't even want to touch this. Uh, Stuart C., given how dire our situation looks, I would really like it if yourself or George, I think he's talking about you, Chris, uh, could ease uh, the awful worry I have that the new owners, specifically PIF, lose most of their interest in us when we drop down the championship. Please tell me that's... That's just 14 years of Mike Ashley making me paranoid. But the continuing talk about Italy and about them showing interest in Inter has me worried. A PIF going anywhere, Chris, if we get relegated? No, in fact, I think quite the opposite. Um, I th- for, for a start, I mean, where would they, where would they go? They, they've paid, <laughs> they paid £305 million for a football club. Yeah. And then if Rage Newcastle quit. get relegated, it's going to be worth half, if not less. I mean, some people are arguing <laughs> that they paid too much for it anyway. Yeah. So. I, I, I can't see how they're just going to walk away from that. They're long-term investors. That's one of the key points about PIF. They do this. So they, they invest long-term and they expect returns long-term. And actually, I think you speak to people in and around the consortium or people who deal with PIF or deal in, in general with uh, with with that sort of business from, from PIF. And they basically say that the, that um, they will be emboldened to... to to fight back from that, and it would almost be it would be seen as embarrassment to them, and they would have to correct Absolutely, that wrong yeah. if Newcastle haven't gone down. And that's what the part of the idea that they've bought Newcastle United. Part of the idea is they want to make Newcastle United the biggest club, well, one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club in the world. Now it sounds fanciful at the moment, but that is that is the idea here. They haven't they haven't signed Newcastle to be mid table or to be bottom half or to, to go to the championship and then say, oh well, this hasn't worked out. They are here for the long run. It would be a blow and it would set back Newcastle project back 18 months two years possibly longer if they can't come back at the first attempt but i would expect that if they were to go down then there would be a lot of money invested to make sure that they came back as quickly as possible pif don't strike me as the kind of people who would rage quit after losing after getting relegated you know just <laughs> chucking the controller into the television ah balls to this we're away see you later lads you can stick your club <laughs> it's just not gonna happen is it anyway don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic uh, for a special price of just £1 a month for a full 12 months. But hurry yourselves up uh, because that offer ends at midnight on Sunday, November the 28th. Uh, so get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to take advantage of that special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. And I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it. Well, Christopher, that's it for another week. Thanks to Michael Bailey for popping in and talking to us. And of course, thanks to you, Chris, for doing the work of two people in the podcast's midfield after George went missing for the full 90 minutes. Do you think he'll be back ready for the next one? Do you think he'll be mentally ready for the I next one? I think we might have to stick him in the under-23s for a couple of weeks, Chris, and just get his, uh, get his match fitness back up. Absolutely. Uh, and as always, thank you to you lot for listening and for sending in your questions. Uh, you can expect the show on Thursday morning next week, a little bit later due to that Norwich game. Uh, and until next time, from everyone at Pod on the Time, it's a hearty goodbye. Take care. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.